This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. You can tell our friends and they can have my things when we're dead. here the boys cast with ryan long with the great scott adams how you doing i'm doing great how are you doing good dude so i mean i've heard about you for forever right and uh it was cool to get you on here and so let me okay let me tell you how i my synopsis of what kind of your career was because you've had this crazy career and you tell me if that's how you see it all so right. you you know you're the creator of dilbert and then you're an author you wrote all these books you were kind of like a, a speaker you're doing all these speaking engagements and um, you had a cartoon, you had uh, the, some TV shows. And then during that time, you were kind of part of the whole like uh, lifestyle design world. Like, I remember you kind of knew people like Tim Ferriss and all that world. You're a bit a part of that world. And then you kind of wrote this uh, big piece, essentially saying that Trump was going to win. And he's <laughs> describing the hypnosis techniques he was doing and why you saw them as better than what other people were doing and why you thought he was going to win. And that sort of changed the trajectory of your career, and you kind of became this big political commentator as well. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure other people think I'm a big political commentator, but uh, <laughs> it's certainly how I spend my time. <laughs> it's it's what's getting me in the most trouble uh, recently. So yeah, it was sort of the the weirdest thing about that uh, career trajectory is that it is exactly where I saw myself at age 14. And right. it's hard to explain. Hard to explain that that I imagined my entire life career, including becoming a cartoonist, and then passing through that to some some other uh, role that I imagined was very similar to what I'm doing right now. But I got here by accident, so it makes me question the whole nature of reality. I have to say. So, what do you mean by that? You thought that, like, do you mean in terms of the political commentary? Like, you kind of were thinking like that, and you were going through all those concepts. And that's, but it took that longer way to get there. Is that what you mean by that? Yeah, I I wasn't thinking of it specifically politically, but rather that I would have some kind of role talking about life and reality and, and what's what, and that it would go beyond cartooning. It just turned out to be a Trump-related connection that I certainly didn't see coming. Yeah, so, I mean... It's kind of because because you wrote this comedy on this theory on comedy that I kind of I, I really like, too. So there was a lot of, you know, when you were even making Dilbert, you're making a, you're take, saying a lot about the world in those cartoons. So you're sort of doing it, but just not as overtly. Right. Yeah. Humor uh, transformed or, or what makes what people consider funny changed a lot. And it has always changed during history. So if you look at, say, a, a vaudeville comedian, it doesn't really translate today. It's not what you'd want to hear so much. And if you looked at, say, the humor of the first Saturday Night Lives, you know, the original Saturday Night Lives. Yeah. Really, their, their humor was about saying things you weren't supposed to say. That was mostly what what the humor was. It's like, oh, I can't believe they said that on TV. Yeah. But now we're now we're sort of beyond shock. So vaudeville doesn't work. It just seems corny. Shock doesn't work because there's nothing that shocks us anymore. So humor became reality. You know, the the real world and humor just sort of merged. 
Now, you it started with Dilbert, I would say. I mean, started around the time of Dilbert. You didn't start with Dilbert. But, um, but I found my humor simply describing a, a heightened version of real events. Oh, this is really happening at your work. I'll just exaggerate it and put in a, a space alien or something to, to make it interesting. But you see that now with politics. The, the thing that amuses me the most, the thing that will make me laugh the most, is the news and social media, what it does with the news and the memes and the, you know, the, the funny back and forth. So I think reality um, and humor just became the same thing. <laughs> yeah, that's how you see it. Well, what's the pillar? Because you said that um, you know, it's the things you're not supposed to say, but in your theory, there's seven, right? Which I always thought it was funny because, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say them, but you always, it was, this is the, the theory. So this, is, this theory I always thought was really cool. And the fact that you included cuteness, because I think a lot of times people will, a comedian will be kind of annoying you and you'll be like, why? And you're like, because he's trying to be cute. <laughs> and the way that you described it is you kind of take all these and then you put, you put them together like in different forms and that's what makes funny. And it's cleverness, naughtiness, bizarreness, cruelness, cuteness and recognizability right yeah so those are the six dimensions of humor and if anybody wants to look into them yeah you you can just uh just google my name and six dimensions of humor and it'll it'll pop up but the idea was uh years ago i noticed that there was a pattern uh i i had been writing humor for a while but even i didn't know why some things were funny and some things weren't it was sort of like brute force i would just run through a lot of ideas and then one of them would make me laugh and I'd say, huh, well, if I laughed, maybe somebody else will laugh. There was no science to it whatsoever. But eventually I noticed a pattern, which is uh, that in order for something to be funny, it had to have at least two of those six elements. So it didn't matter which two. So it could be, let's say, cute, but also bizarre. And that would be, let's say, the old comic, The Far Side. It was animals being cute but they were talking like people and doing things that people do. And that's bizarre. Yeah. And, and it was often clever. So there'd be a, a clever element. So the, the best cartoons in the world would consistently have three elements. A joke only needs two and you'll laugh at it. If you can get four of those elements into one kind of joke, you've got a world-class property and only a few people have ever done it. The, the comic Calvin <laughs> and, and Hobbes. Live to tell the tale. Yeah. Well, he he didn't last long. Uh, Calvin and Hobbes is one of those. If you look at the drawing, it's insanely cute. You know, the character, the the tiger. It's bizarre because the tiger talks and the kid is smarter than the kid and and all that. It's clever uh, because the, the situations are often clever. But then he'll also have some cruelty like something will happen to somebody, they get hit with a snowball or something. He's misgendered or something like that. Yeah, it's a terrible cruelty such as that. But the, um, but the point is that the reason that Calvin and Hobbes was a gigantic smash hit was that he started with something that was cute and, uh, and uh, sort of bizarre. So he only had to add one element, and he was already a world-class cartoon, and sometimes he would add two. And then you'd say, whoa, I can't do that. What did you do? How did you make that so good? And it's really just the formula. He did four out of six, and he did it consistently. Hey, can I add uh, a pillar that I think that I thought that might be added to the mix? Okay. Because if you look at all those pillars, 
one that I thought could be explained, and even when you're talking about the news, is truth. Because an element of, oh, that's so true. Like if you said something, so a lot of times in satire, when I'm doing comedy on stage, like that doesn't need that, but sometimes that's the other element that you're adding on stage. Or was that already? That's one of the six. So that would be covered under recognizability. Oh, see, so So I saw recognizable as nostalgia a lot of times like because oh no so no it's a lot yeah it's exactly like you used it as as something that's true to your actual experience so what would uh you know because there's a lot of comics for example that their whole act is like remember the 90s like do you guys remember (laughs) yo-yos and they're getting big laughs off is that cute or is that what would that fit in there under this uh, like that sort of nostalgia uh well, um, yeah, I would say that would be recognizable. You're, you're saying, oh, yeah, I remember I had that toy when I was a kid or something. And it just takes you to that place. And one of the things you'll, you'll learn is that people care more about recognizable than they do about most of the other elements, which is why the news became comedy. Because you recognize the news as like, oh, I was just talking about that thing. And here's a joke about it. Oh, I was just laughing with my friends about that thing that Trump or somebody said, and now here's a joke about that very thing. So I, I do I do another comic called uh, uh, Robots Read News. And okay. I put it, sometimes, sometimes it's on Twitter, but mostly I put it in behind a, a paywall subscription um, at locals.com. And it's just a robot who never moves. He's just reading the news. And, and I have him just read the news from something that happened that day. And I can add almost anything to it, and people will say that's the funniest thing you've ever written. And it's because I hit I hit that recognizable thing at the right time. It's not good enough that they recognize it. It's like I'm thinking about it right now, and then here was your comic. So so the fact that I can produce it within you know I, I can write one of those within ten minutes of sitting down, and it's published to the world ten minutes from beginning to end to full worldwide distribution. So people are getting it really fresh, you know, within w- within hours of seeing the news, they'll see a, a joke about it and they just love that. There's the freshness of it gives a little extra kick. Yeah, you've really figured out how to systemize making your comedy, eh? <laughs> uh, that's, that's what I do. In fact, I'm, I'm sitting right here next to uh, my new uh, Wacom Cintiq. It's a this gigantic drawing surface that you that you draw car- cartoons on these days. You know, we don't do it on paper anymore. That's very cool. The, um, okay, so be- if, if we we're going to say, I know that you kind of always get probably blocked into talking about this stuff a lot, but where are you at on Trump now since that be- kind of became <laughs> the like your main talking points? Not your talking point, but the main thing everyone was talking to you about. But in your opinion, where is he at right now? Is he going to win, and do you like him or not like him? Well, I would be super, super surprised if he doesn't win comfortably because okay. every every sign except for the fake polls are saying that he's going to win. I mean, he's, basically everything is lining up for a win uh, except the polls <laughs> and and some of those we don't we don't trust. I was just reading an article about uh, one of the ways that you can uh, poll for Trump because you assume people are lying instead of saying who do you who are you going to vote for. Um, some clever pollsters are starting to ask, who do you think your neighbor will vote for? <laughs> and, you, and you usually know who your neighbor will vote for, right? Or yeah. I suppose you'd say you don't know. 
but uh, they find that they consistently get more uh, vote, more Trump support if somebody's talking about somebody that they know instead of themselves, because the, the, the assumption <clears throat> there is that people will lie. They don't want to admit who they're voting for. So you think so I think you win. Okay, yeah. And uh, what's, what's so different about this time is that we don't have to guess what he would be like as a president. You can just look at it and say, okay, those first you know, three and a half years or whatever, do you like those? Because if you want to give more of that, that's how you get it. And I, I always, from the very beginning, I, I had this assumption about him that he was what I call an expensive president. But sometimes you need to hire a hitman. You know, it's not always about uh, consulting with your, your rabbi or your minister. Sometimes you need a hitman. Because if you need to kill somebody, that's your problem. You got to hire a hitman. And he might be expensive. And it might be, you know, there might be a problem. But sometimes you just got to kill somebody. Now, it's a bad analogy because, you know, he's not there to kill, kill people. No, but, but what well, he, was he there to kill? <clears throat> well, ISIS, for example. And uh, you wanted him to do the, the things that you thought other people wouldn't do because they weren't bold enough. They weren't, they weren't uh, risk, they weren't the kind of risk takers that he is. I mean, you said so that I about thought, TikTok, right? Like you I, said that you, you kind of tweeted that you're like, oh, but there's no way Biden would have got rid of TikTok. And you saw that as a good thing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There, and I, I doubt that anybody else would have beaten ISIS so handily the way he did. Um, I think that even, you know, the decisions you're seeing now about him pushing forward with a Supreme Court choice is exactly why he got elected, because people said, okay, in this situation, you could see how somebody would say, I think I'll be a statesman, you know, and maybe, maybe it's better for the country if I wait. But people said, no, screw that. We just want the guy who's going to take the free money that's on the table. He, he's he's going to push open every door and he's going to break some stuff. And I think people knew, yeah, he's going to get, he's going to ruffle some feathers. He's going to break some dishes, but we're not worried about dishes. We're worried about world war. You know, we're worried about the economy. We're worried about, you know, the big stuff. So I think, I think he's unusually good on the big stuff and unusually bad on the bad stuff. In fact, I've said that what Trump is universally bad at everything easy. And by easy, I mean, I mean anything Biden could do. Right. <laughs> so what Biden, what Biden can do is talk in public, you know, read some stuff from a teleprompter and not get himself in trouble because he just reads what's on the teleprompter. Can Trump do that? Well, I mean, physically he could do it, but will he ever do it? No, <laughs> no, because okay. it's just not who he is. And you, unfortunately, you don't get a choice of the, the Trump who always says the polite things in public and then also gets done, you know, the, the hitman kind of big stuff that you need somebody to do. Uh, he's the only choice he had. So I, I don't mind the, the mean tweets and the ruffled feathers if I can get some big stuff done. Do you see people having a, a absolute meltdown over RBJ? <laughs> My buddy at his work, he was like, people called in sick from work and they're like, I can't come in because RBJ died today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there there is something going on, and I guess that something is obvious. It's you know Trump derangement syndrome. Um, I do think that historians and psychologists will look back at this as mostly a time of mass hysteria, 
because you can yeah. kind of tell the difference. You can tell the difference between a difference of opinion or a difference of priority. It's like, well, I can see why you'd want that policy, but I have slightly different priorities. So you know what it looks like when people are disagreeing on policy, you know? Yeah. And this isn't that. Whatever this is has nothing to do with that. It's pure hysteria. Yeah, it's a fundamental disagreement of the way that we should live their lives. And on top of that, the each side, well, one side probably more than the other, thinks that once they win, you should have to do it too. I think that's where all the problems come in. With um, well, you mean you mean you mean the the other side wants you to conform to what they want? Yeah, I mean the the problem like isn't right now a lot of times that people want freedom to do something. It's they want to take away your freedom to not do it. And I think that's where a lot of the problems come in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a freedom difference, but everybody wants to have their freedoms and deny you yours. I mean, that's really what it is. I don't think there's anybody who wants everybody to have freedom. There's only people, if you're being honest, I want my freedom, but I think I'd like you to be maybe have a little less so it doesn't bother me so much, you know. It's and like, they, yeah, yeah, I want the fr- uh, maybe I want the freedom to not wear a mask in some situations. But you know, wouldn't it be great if you didn't have the freedom to loot? <laughs> <laughs> they also think I was kind of thinking about it, maybe this is getting like esoteric or whatever. But I feel like people want all their freedom to come for free as well. You know, they and you yeah. you start pointing out freedom, and they go, "Well, what about this?" And you're like, "Yeah, there's gonna be things like it's not." <laughs> There's not going to be any. That's, You're like, well, you know, sir. That, that, that's the whole Antifa and uh, Black Lives Matter. Less, less so Black Lives Matter, but Antifa. Because they're, they're talking about a world that they wouldn't want to live in. If they got everything they wanted, it's like, let's say you get everything you want, Antifa. We'll get rid of this government and everything else. Now, answer this question. Where does money come from in your world? And, you know, the first answer is, well, there's so many rich people. Yeah, (laughs) dad, right? Well, there's so many rich people, they'll share it. It's like, well, you realize that in your world, they'll stop making money, right? Because there's no point. They're just making money and giving it away. They'll just, they'll say, well, my life is the same if I work or if I don't work. So why would I work? So I don't think uh, people have quite thought it through. So, and and honestly, there's, there's something going on where, young people have not matured as quickly as they used to. I think that's real. Do you think that's real or is that just me being an old guy? And, and you know, every, every old guy says these youth cut their hair, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I, have, I was having that conversation recently and it is true, but it's not so much that young people haven't matured as much as there's like a culture that other people should solve your problems. So it's kind of hard when you have, when you have young people and they, you know, finish school. And then there's this idea that the media and everyone's kind of telling you that, you know, these problems should be solved for you. This isn't your fault like that. So it's, I think it's the culture of, you know, the Western society or whatever, that's more pushing that on people than this idea that, that people are somehow like different in this generation. But there is one difference that I, that I have empathy for, which is, when I got out of college, I got out with no student debt, which would be rare today. Yeah. And I could, I could go literally walk into any company with a college degree and pretty much get a job almost anywhere. It just had to be a big company. They were always hiring. And that's what I did. Just walked, I literally walked into a bank 
and said, um, I'm, I just got to San Francisco. I'd like a job in your bank. They hired me before I left. Right. I, I just walked I, I literally walked into the biggest bank and said, well, this looks like the biggest bank. They must have some money. They probably have some jobs. I want to be a wallet line. inspector. I stood, <laughs> I, I stood in line like a customer and I got to the front and said to the teller, you know, I'd like to work here. Can I get a job here? Next thing I know, I'm talking to the boss. Next thing I know, I'm hired. But try to do that today. You know, it, it's a yeah. whole different deal. Just and, and then I could afford my own apartment. Uh, not my own, but, you know, roommates and stuff. I had my own, I had a, a windowless room with a, a shared bathroom, but I could afford it. So I could live on my own the day I walked out of the door with my college degree. I was self-sufficient. And um, that was common back then. Yeah, I could move across the country and just start a life anywhere I wanted. Yeah, so no, people got a bad deal. That's why it's like, you know, you have to understand where people are coming from. Like there's an entire generation that got a shitty deal. But, you know, and this is one of the things that when it goes back to Bernie Sanders and if you go, okay, so his solution of that is like, hey, they're giving this crappy thing away. It doesn't help. And it costs 100 grand. His degree is like, yeah, let's get more people to do that and everyone will pay for it. And, you know, that kind of my idea. I mean, there's both like you want to kind of culturally change it. But even just from like a market perspective, anyone right now that's like 14 and their mom or dad has one hundred thousand dollars debt and a crappy job, a university degree and like uh in a general arts program, like they're not going to do that. So it's, you know, there's some degree that these things, they sort themselves out over a generation. And then on top of that, there's like a culture era, but it's, it's almost like I always, it's it's a lot of times you're piling bad bricks on top of like this faulty uh, foundation to begin with. Yeah. The whole, uh, the whole system just sort of evolved into this ossified mess that was training people to do things that weren't terribly useful you know, at least, at least the generic kind of college degrees. That's and I think, where I, I think where it's going to go is uh, some kind of talent stack idea. I, I introduced this yeah, idea. Yeah, I love the talent mother. stack. And if, if you simply said, all right, you know, we're going to teach you this, these sets of skills because they work really well together. Don't know exactly what your job will be, but look, you're going to know sound engineering. You'll know video stuff. You'll know how to communicate to people, and, you know, several things you're going to be in pretty good shape and you can learn those kinds of skills without four years of college. So I've got a feeling people are going to start being much more directed in their talent stack acquisition. And this, that is true that there was this, because even back in the day, it's like artists used to be philosophers and they used to build cities. And it was kind of, there was this idea that someone that was a great thinker, you know, kind of would be able to do that across fields. Right. And it's, I, I've noticed when I was worst, the worst in my life and career is when I was the most hyper-focused on one thing. You, you, when you were the worst, you said? Yeah, when I was the worst is when I was, uh, let's say I was a comedian, right? And uh-huh. I was only thinking about like writing jokes and that's what I was thinking about. But I wasn't, I was not really focused on anything else. I wasn't making films. I wasn't doing anything else. I was just this one thing. It was actually when I was the worst at it because you <laughs> zoned in so far that I was losing everything else. Cause I kind of feel the same way as you were. You said that, you know, what I, I don't know the exact things, but it was like, maybe I'm not the best cartoonist. Maybe I'm not the best. Well, you, you can finish it for me, but. Right, yeah. Yeah, you don't have to be the best at drawing or writing jokes if you can do both of them, you know, well enough. 
there are very few people who can do those two things. That's what so it that was. Makes yeah. you special. Yeah. So I felt for me, I, when I was doing videos about like, you know, different things, I, I said, I'm not the best filmmaker in the world and I wasn't the best at music in the world. And I wasn't maybe the best at comedy in the world, but I was definitely the best, like making at the, at the intersection of those three. And I, so I like really did agree with that theory. I think a lot that, of people. That, yeah. You are one of the best examples of that. Anybody's ever going to say yeah, exactly right. You know, when I watched your, your videos are hilarious. And I'm thinking that's a whole lot of talent to make that, that little video. You, you know, people really? don't quite, people don't appreciate how many talents oh, you, you have to line up to make that work. So yeah, because it's not like example. I'm the, I don't know politics better than, you know, so many people, you know, I always right. joke like, people, you know, I'm this like, you know, making videos about politics, but I'm like, I can't name the senators like, or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of guys that are good at making videos and that are really funny, it's like I might have a better like critical understanding of that sort of stuff. So, right. yeah, yeah, very, very good example. Yeah. So you think that the, they might move towards in school that would be a, a positive if they started thinking about that people need to have like intersectional skills. That, that'd be a good way to a good intersectionality. <laughs> yeah. I've, uh, yeah. I, I've actually offered that um, we should do an experiment with say some urban class of uh, let's say just for example, it's a, it's a bunch of 10 year old black kids in some urban place where they don't have as much opportunity and just go in there and say, all right, here's our deal. We're going to teach you strategy, life strategy. So you'd learn about how to build a, you know, a, a useful uh, talent stack, how to have a system instead of just, you know, goals, you know, be great to have a goal to be the best NBA player, but how about a system where you're developing skills that could take you in a variety of different ways in case that NBA thing doesn't work out and just teach them that success is primarily about strategy and that uh, you could be, poor and disadvantaged but if you do the right stuff your odds of success are close to 100 percent. and i don't think people know that i think they think oh i'm i'm black uh, i've been told that i've got disadvantages the police are gonna kill me yeah i just feel like you know you would think that you didn't have a way out but in fact we do have a country where if your strategy is right your your path out is very clear i mean yeah. it's 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 wide there's nothing in the way you just have to get on that path and walk down it. It's just this big super highway waiting for you. But if you don't know it's there, you're not going to find it accidentally. You know, you don't accidentally get on the right path. Somebody needs to tell you if you're a 10 year old kid. You know what else, Scott, is that um, I, I have this, I, I see this with other people that are younger than me a lot. And when they're working on something, maybe that'd be making videos or whatever it would be. And they kind of don't see where it's going and they're like, it's not working. And they're like, oh, so I should move on to the next thing. And you're, it's, you're like, no, you don't know where it's going to go yet. Like if you really actually sit down and develop the skill and you spend four years and it turns out to be a waste of time, it won't be a waste of time because, you know, even like my friend, uh, Danny Polishuk, who's some of the guy in the videos, he, he was, you know, he's big into stocks and he's, that's how he made a lot of his money and blah, blah. And not that that's useless because you're making money, but now my friend who did the hard times, um, that I did all these videos with, he started this website about comedy website about stock finance. And because he knew me, he was like, Danny's the only comedian we know that's like an expert at that. He's like, hey, do you want to become the editor of this magazine? And now he's kind of running this thing. So it's like you, you is, if you have three or four talent stacks, like you don't almost know when they're going to come in handy. So it's 
but I think people have that hard to trust the process sort of situation. Yeah, that you also remind me of another tip I like to give people for success, which is uh, practice things you're good at in public. Make sure people see it. So the fact that somebody oh, yeah. is making v- videos that are put on the internet just automatically is a job interview. So your your life should be a continuous job interview. That, that's another tip I got when I was uh, I was 21 and I was flying uh, my first airplane trip uh, from New York where I grew up to California to live for the rest of my life. And I sat next to this uh, probably 50 or 60 year old executive and he gave me this career advice. It was just the best advice you'll ever get from a random guy on an airplane. He said that as soon as he gets a job, he looks for his next job and that his job is to get a better job. You know, at the same time, he's trying to do the job he's hired for, but he never lose sight, loses sight that his job is not to make his employer rich. That's yeah. also good. It's also good, but that's not his job. His job is to make him rich. And, the, and he says, the moment I get a new job, I start looking for the next job that's better. And I just never stopped that process. And he was a CEO of a major company by the time I talked to him. He said, that's all I did. I just never accepted that my job was my job. My job is to get a better job. See, I yeah, I mean, I guess you can only do that sometimes before you get a better, so many times before you get a little bit of a reputation in the industry. <laughs> but Well, you know, you would think, but as long as somebody offers you that next best job. Yeah. You, You'd be dumb not to. I've it. always, I've always kind of thought about that myself. Like anytime I've worked for anyone else, like I understood this was just like to build capital, or even on like acting. If it's not my thing, I always, you know, I try to do that thing where it's like do things for one reason. So I try to do fine if I'm doing this for money or if I'm doing this for opportunity, whatever it is. But I understand those are just to help build my next thing. So yeah, whether if you're working at a company or whatever. A lot of times it's just to build a skill or the network or whatever. But I think a lot of people do forget that and you just start like working for someone and that's how you kind of become miserable, especially in today's age when you can kind of see it all, right? Yeah. Yeah. When when I started doing uh, my Periscopes, my live stream that, that I do on the Periscope app, the, the first time I did it was just to find out more about it. It was like, oh, there's this thing called live stream. It's pretty easy. Well, let's see. You know, I turned it on and I think, you know, four people showed up to watch me and I talked to them. All in. <laughs> and then, uh, then pretty soon, you know, I thought, well, what if I, you know, add this or try this or talk about this? Yeah, and now it's, you know, 100,000 people a day listen to me on live stream. Amazing. It's, it's, one, it's one of the most, probably one of the most influential uh, live streams in the world right now, I would say, just because of who watches it. Yeah, you know, I, I hear privately who's who's watching me every day. Really, Ivanka, uh, among others. Yeah. Jim Carrey. So, <laughs> so I, I um, yeah, there there are a lot of people who've watched it, and none of that none of that was some master plan in the beginning. It was all about building my talent stack because I thought, well, clearly I should know more about this. video live streaming thing and i just practiced at it with no particular um end in sight it turned into two book deals which makes the book before that sell more because when you have a new book out look at the old one as well um and now i've got this thing i mentioned on locals which turned into a whole different business model so all of this happened just for me saying you know there's one skill that looks like it would be useful on top of my other skills, 
and bam, it was super useful. Oh, it's crazy. Is is, is the the how many books ago was Loser Think? Was that three ago? Or was that the <laughs> Loser last Think one? is Loser Think's the newest one. Oh, that's the newest. So, one. Okay, because that was yeah, my be, favorite title. That's like <laughs> so funny. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad you like that. Uh, before I've that was that, win, yeah. win big that, way. That's what girl a loser think is just um, when you think like a woman. I believe that was your thesis <laughs> of the book, right? That's no, funny. I've never said that. <laughs> you made that up. No, uh, loser, loser think the way I defined it is I tried to make it not being dumb because what I noticed is there were a lot of people who, by any objective measure, had high IQs but kept saying things that appeared to me to be dumb. And if, if I assume the problem's not on my end, I'm like, what's going on here? And there was a consistent pattern, which is the people who had uh, small talent stacks, typically if they were in the arts, they tend to be uh, writers and artists and musicians and stuff. Oh, I like they this. Si they simply did not have exposure to the disciplines of how to compare things to make decisions. And comparing things accurately so you know what you're comparing to the right thing is, is a skill that you don't naturally have. You're not born with it. But if, like me, you have a degree in economics, you were taught that for four years. Hey, you have a degree in economics? Me too. Yeah, yeah. Do you? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, maybe that explains why we're here. Yeah. Uh, so, and the, then I got an MBA, and I worked you know, in the corporate world for years and years. So I became I learned, a clown. <laughs> I became a cartoonist. So yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I had a joke I used to tell on stage, which was, I'd say, uh, if you take enough years of economics, you will become a cartoonist. Because, <laughs> yeah. because you start out saying, well, this is an awesome thing. I, I would like to understand this skill. And then when you understand it enough, you realize it's all bullshit. And you're like, yeah. oh, I'm a cartoonist now. You know, <laughs> smarter, 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 best economist in the world. And now I'm a cartoonist because yeah. I realize how much, how much bullshit this is. And it, all, it all looks absurd. And you think, you know, I can make jokes about this, but I don't think I can use it for much else. But the useful part that comes out of it is consistently learning how to compare things. How to, how to look at money over time. So you're not comparing a dollar you get 10 years from now to a dollar today. They're not the same. If you look at, if you're trying to decide, is the president doing a good job on the coronavirus? I, I keep annoying people by saying, you know, you can't compare him to New Zealand. If it were possible, and you could switch the two leaders and then do a, a simultaneous test as if we had never had a coronavirus before, just to see how those leaders would do if they were in the other country, then you'd know how much is there something about the country and how much is it about the leader's decisions. But you can't do that. So you end up with this absurd thing about imagining how President Trump should have done in your own imagination and then comparing it to what happened and saying, well, it's not as good as what I imagined it would be. That's right. not how you things <laughs> that, that's not the right way to do it yeah the right way to do it is if you don't have the right comparison you say i don't know that's it that's the end if you can't compare it you're done if you if you are just make up some comparison because you need to compare it that's not the way you do it yeah especially even when you look at there's just so many factors that you don't even think of like when i was 
thinking about this the other day of why America is different than other countries on some. It's like one of the things that you wouldn't even mention is that the fact that these are predominantly like agnostic countries, right? Whereas Americans is still like most of the people here are still religious. And you talked like, you know, when you're talking about abortion or anything like these are still huge factors, right? So there's so many things that there's 20,000 factors that are very, very important that you don't even think about, right? To make them just a completely different makeup. Right. And if you're looking at, um, let's say, Americans wearing masks and you say, hey, there are three Asian companies, countries where the mask compliance was nearly 100 percent. So they have better leaders, right? Because there are three Asian countries, 100 yeah. percent mask wearing, good leadership. They're like, no, right? they already wear no. them. <laughs> yeah, well, they were yes, wearing them before. First, first of <laughs> all, they started with a lot of masks. <laughs> Second, secondly, there's an enormous cultural difference. If you say to Americans, look, Americans, we've done all the science, and we can say with 100% certainty, every single expert agrees, if you take this pill, you'll live 10 years longer, and there's no downside. 20% of Americans will say, nope. <laughs> yeah. Nope, because, because freedom, you are not making me take a pill. Yeah, I'll take a pill if I want to, and I don't I'll want to. I'll take a pill if it's Viagra, but I don't know about it's random yeah. and, <laughs> But uh, Americans reject authority automatically. Yeah, you know, it, it's just a reflex. And I, I would like argue, that. it's it. I like that. <laughs> yeah, right. That that it's our superpower. So you can't take our superpower away without without losing everything that comes with it, right? So if yeah. you say, I would like America to be the kind that would listen to their leader, listen to the experts, and we would all just mask up because the, the experts told us to. That's all we need to hear. The experts told us to, our government told us to, we're masking up. Get me out of that fucking country as fast as possible. <laughs> I mean, I, that's, right? I did get out of that country. I was Canada. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, in my case, you know, I'm pro-mask. You know, I think, you know, risk reward, it looks like it's, it's the right balance. Yeah. So I'm pro mask, but I still don't want to live in a country where everybody else is. Because yeah, I mean, I it's need... like, there is a point where you go to a store and they're like, put a mask on. You're like, yo, F you with you guys. <laughs> There's a point where it's just ridiculous. But I, I yeah. do, I like the authoritarian guys or the against authority guys, even when they're like super ridiculous. I just like that they exist. Like some of my friends are just like, you know, they're trying to put stuff in the, our drinking water. They've got microchips, everything. And I'm like, hell yeah, dude, fight the power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I feel the same way when I, when I look at the crazy conspiracy theorists, I always, I always have two thoughts. Number one, they're completely wrong. Number two, <laughs> how many times have I thought somebody was completely wrong and they weren't? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Every now, every now and then there is, there, there is a coup to throw, overthrow the government and it's real. Yeah, it really so, yeah, yeah. If they're right one or 10 times, you just got to, you know, pay attention every now and then. <laughs> At least someone's out there banging yeah. the drum. You never know. It you never it's know. almost like the implicit threat too. You know how like, the guns are an implicit threat to the government. Like a lot of these conspiracy guys, like watching their every move is a bit of an implicit threat to the government. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, keeps, it definitely keeps them in line. Yeah, there, to, to me, there's nothing funnier than the fact that uh, conservatives have kept their, uh, their guns to themselves so far. Like with all the craziness you're seeing, okay. I'm sure there was some, some militias who you know, did the open carry thing, but they didn't shoot anybody. And in fact, the, the, I think the events 
with the conservatives who had the, the open carry, carrying the, the weapons and stuff. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they were probably the most peaceful demonstrations of all of 2020, I yeah, would guess. I mean, there, there's a difference between the like conservative demonstration walking, where it's like if you saw a bunch of like Antifa guys like coming down with AR-57, like it would be a different thing. Those guys, I guess it was a different culture of the movement, right? But... Well, you know, there was there was a uh, uh, and they're also trying to step, and also by the way, there's the reason it's a different movement because they're on the defensive in this particular scenario, right? Because the basically there's people saying we want social change and we're gonna do this and that, and then there's they were basically saying, hey, we're gonna come and try to stop this, so don't come around here because we have our guns. So if it was the other way well, around. Well, there, well, there are different contexts. Some of it was uh, the mask stuff. I think. Oh, some you're talking the, about the mask ones. Yeah, yeah. Those, those are just peaceful anti-mask stuff. Yeah. Freedom, freedom. That would be crazy uh, if that one got out of hand. Like you're like, yeah, we were the mask protesters brought their guns and it just became a bloodbath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. So to 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 the point. You know, when I see the militias, you know, I, I have the, the dual feeling, which is, oh, this could be a little dangerous, all these people with guns. And in many cases, they may not have, you know, the same idea that I do about what's going on in the world and who's trying to screw who. So I think, well, a little dangerous, all those guns. At the same time, I say to myself, if the, if the shit came down, like the government really just turned on the people in, in a serious way, those are the guys who are going to make a difference. Yeah, and they're the guys that's stopping it from happening in the first place, right? Yeah, they probably already are the, the only factor that's keeping the country together. And, and it's by not doing anything. It's the yeah. not doing anything that is the powerful part. Because you know that the moment they decided to do something, probably would happen about the same time. Whatever, whatever, such a trigger trigger would be. Yeah, and it would be it would be somewhat conclusive. Well, but that, that was like the one of the most ignorant positions people have, and it's like where you just I don't like arguing about uh, guns to like some twenty year old or whatever. But it is funny when people are all oh, oh they're going to fight the U.S. government. You're like they don't have to, you idiot. Like that's not how it works. <laughs> it's not it's how like, it works. They don't have to fight yeah. them. Like U.S. government can't just go and like kill a bunch of their citizens. That might be unpopular. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I even go further and say let, let's game out the strategy a little bit. If the government of the United States decided to turn any portion of the military against the citizens, what's the first thing the citizens would do? The first things that they would do is they would take uh, captives of every family member of anybody in government and anybody in the military who was on the wrong side. They would they would go after the family because they're right. they would be exposed. And and you can say, well, that's evil or that's terrible or you know, you could hate it. And I'm not saying I'm in favor of it or not in favor. Of it. I'm Sounds just saying. Sounds like you know for a fact, though, the plan. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't make the plan, but how, how hard would it be to figure that out? I mean, yeah, no, that's a, that's a obvious good thing plan. would happen. Yeah. I, I haven't thought of that one, but I would definitely put that on the list. Um, as far as what's like, okay, so one of the big ones that I've kind of gone back and forth on, and I feel like you'll have a good idea on this, because. I've, I've even said from the beginning with Trump, like the thing that he was probably the most right on was the China stuff. And even with with Canada, when I was there, like they do the shadiest shit over there. They would have, you know, they just straight up have different tariffs coming in and different. They were getting like the third world country tariff tax when they're this huge, like, you know, the second biggest power, essentially. 
And so it always felt like Trump was kind of the right on the China stuff that they're they've that they've got crazy stuff going on. So where do you see this in terms of like is this a uh, like a essentially like a cold war that's happening right now? Is it something in the future? Like where do you see this conflict with China and like what like how should norm, how should I think of this as a normal person in my in your opinion? I, I think China believes, uh, and the United States probably believes it too, that we both need to be the the, the leader of the world. Yeah, uh, there's like there's not enough room for two, and China, because of its size and its history, et cetera, thinks it's the rightful uh, let's let's say first citizen. You know that that they they deserve that position as the you know most respected maybe most influential country and there's there's reason to believe that that's going to happen eventually just because of demographics and time and et cetera. Math. So yeah, math. Um, so I don't think there's any world in which we are not at least adversaries. I think there's a good chance we will avoid military, you know, direct military, but we're definitely in a uh, a hot cyber war. You know, I would say that the, we're probably fighting in a cyber sense, a persuasion sense, a brainwashing yeah. sense, uh, in all those senses. I think we're we're in the middle of a, a pitched, you know, World War III, and it's happening right now. And anybody who thinks that those things can't bring down a country, you're not paying attention. Those things today can bring down a country. I'm not Especially sure. Especially when you're already are. like at war in your own country to some degree culturally. Are we? Are we? Let, let me ask you this: Are we at war in our own country, or did China cause what we're seeing? Now, I'm not saying they did, but just walk through this to okay. To scare walk you. me, th- yeah, please. Let's say uh, China can make uh, the TikTok algorithm do anything it wants, right? Yeah. At the moment, they can control it, so they can make any story or image or message prominent. If they do, they will convince all the people on TikTok that something's true. Those people also go over to Snapchat. There's a lot of crossover TikTok to Snapchat. Suddenly, the Snapchat people, people are, are still on Snapchat. With these ideas. It's, it's huge. The kids exclusively the kids. a dick pic app. <laughs> yeah. uh, and but anyway, so China yeah. already has the ability to mass brainwash through these apps in ways that we would be completely unaware of happened. We would just think, huh. It looks like the polls have changed. It seems people's opinions about this or that have changed, but you'd never know why. But they would know why. China well, what, would know what, because... what would be an example of uh, how they would have done that on TikTok? Because I mean, so you, remember, you remember the story of uh, uh, President Trump had a rally that got uh, sold out, but the TikTokers organized to buy a bunch of tickets yeah. and then not go. Yeah, yeah. So that that was an example where I ask you, would that have been viral if China didn't want it to? If China did not call out that message and say, I think we're going to make this message a thing, see yeah. how big this gets. I mean, these and, are and it's one, these apps are definitely like kingmakers right now. You're right. And they're information story kingmakers as well, right? Right. right. And, and those people who really know the deep arts for, for your audience members who don't know, I'm a trained hypnotist. So the the world of propaganda and brainwashing and persuasion, this this is where I do most of my recent writing and, and research. So he actually wrote what I me. see. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I didn't, but uh, but certainly there was something to that <laughs> um, that book. But um, 
China and the other countries do have the ability now through AI and through algorithms and just knowing how persuasion works to start rumors and, and false uh, messages that, that can move the world. And I wouldn't be surprised if we learned that Antifa and Black Lives Matter are largely driven by foreign foreign influences. Someday we might find that out. In, right. in fact, I would, be, I would be surprised if that's not the case because they should be doing that. Like if, if you were trying to take down the United States, you would be funding resources into those groups. Of course. That would be the obvious way to do it. So wouldn't, wouldn't you be more surprised if they weren't? Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. I mean, I've thought of it even uh, to add to that. The one thing that I was kind of like, he never seems to get brought up. Is if, if you're like, when we're talking about whether or not they should get rid of TikTok or what has to happen with it, and I know that they, they basically the China blocked the sale or whatever, you go, dude, what do you think like American companies are doing when they're in China? Like, do you think that Facebook's just operating like willy nilly in China? So it's so funny that when people go, oh, American government shouldn't do this. It's like, yeah, but look at what's going on the other way around. Like Facebook has to basically deliver people to like the Chinese government for them to murder from their like direct messages. And they go, yes, sir. Like, oh my God. So yes, sir. And then they come back to Canada and post that like women are great or whatever. But <laughs> it's like, so they're obviously doing the other way around. So there needs to be at least like, you know, hey, whatever you're going to do to us, like we have to do the same thing. It's not like you have, we have yeah. know, sort of run amok uh, in our country and not vice versa, I guess. Yeah. It, and I think the biggest thing the public doesn't know is that these, uh, these tools, you know, the, the persuasion tools on the internet, et cetera, are, are now stronger than military tools because you could take down a country with um, the right brainwashing and persuasion in a way that you couldn't really, you know, you couldn't conquer China. You know, if, if we tried to do it militarily without yeah. without destroying our own country, so people don't understand that these are the real weapons. Now we we may never have another um, giant world war because we don't need it. You could take out a country this way, and it's and nobody gets killed in the traditional way. How would you get? How would you get to? How would you if you were America? How would you combat it in China? Like get to people, you know, push music to people like punk rock, anti flag, like screw your government and then there everyone starts to get everyone starts to rebel against the government well you know the the beauty of the the chinese model is that they they only they can only survive by keeping out uh, other thought you know they, they have to make sure that criticism doesn't get in but yeah. i don't know how you keep it out forever so technology wise you have to assume that criticism will get in and it should take care of itself because if the Chinese people were fully informed and able to organize, uh, that may be the hard part of the organizing, um, I think that they would fix things on their own. They just wouldn't put up with it. I mean, the, how many people in China are aware of what's happening with the Uyghurs? You know, do they know that their, their country is selling um, body parts of political prisoners? You know, they're actually selling organ, organs for transplant. Do they know that? So these are these are the types of things that I think that if the public just knew what was going on, their oh yeah, the government the government yeah, would yeah. fall on its own just from information. Well, I guess it would be a would be a tough one. Like even if it'd be hard, it's hard, hard to get a resistance going in China. I think like when they kind of the the level of control that they have. Yeah. So um, hashtag I, resistance it, would be a little harder over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but. It definitely explains 
um, explains why they're trying to control their citizens so much, you know, with facial recognition and, you know, no privacy, et cetera. They know they need to. Anything right. short of that puts a timer on them. Okay, well, okay, so that's one thing you think Trump's doing good. I wanted to talk about uh, the, like, Trump thing for a little bit. And so one of the things that you kind of describe, you know, the way that, uh, you know, he's, like, a gifted communicator and the way that he manipulates people. And But one thing I wanted to... Um, oh, you know what? Could you just describe essentially that for a second? Like the way that you just, the way that what essentially, what was it that you noticed about him that kind of put, became this, uh, you know, viral thing about you and then, and like also right. caused you a lot of trouble probably too. Yeah. I noticed he was what I call a master persuader, somebody who knows the tools of persuasion, which the public generally does not know, but also is willing to use them at the highest level. It's that willingness to use them and his appetite for risk and his ability to take embarrassment and criticism like nobody's ever, ever done in their life. So you put all that together, plus his persona, plus his personality, plus his fame, you know, just all of that stuff. It was just super powerful. And then he had business uh, knowledge as well and entertainment knowledge, and they just fit together really well as a powerful thing. So what I noticed is that he had the tools of a salesperson, which everybody notices, of course, but he was really good at it. And he, he does things such as simplicity, making things visual. For example, when he talks about uh, border security, he doesn't talk about it the way boring people do. They say, well, we should... Uh, have better security in a variety of ways. You know, it depends which part of the, you yeah. know, uh, you're talking about. And then you just go, I don't know, something about border security. I wasn't interested, but he says, I'm going to build a wall. And they go, you can't build a wall across the entire border. It's going to be a wall. No, you can't do that. It's going to be a wall. <laughs> and you see the wall and you're arguing against the wall while you're seeing it, which is the, the salesperson's trick. You, you will it into existence while you're arguing against it because right. it becomes real because you're seeing it and talking about it until you just see it. It's like the telling the girl, like, hey, what do you want to have for breakfast tomorrow morning? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, that, that's, uh, that's called uh, making you think past the sale, which is another trick he does. Oh, that's a time. different trick. So, yeah, but it's, it's related. So simplicity, repetition. Oh, so the trick, that would be, if, in my scenario, that would be more like describing the actual sex that's happening and they'd have to picture it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. If, if you described it, yes, that would maybe cause it to be more, more likely if they liked what they imagined. Uh, I guess that's the trick. They have to like what they imagined. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, uh. <laughs> I, 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 that trick well, would never work for me. No. <laughs> if a guy did that to you, if a guy, <laughs> a guy came up like me and you, it's going to be greasy. And you're like, uh. <laughs> you thought this was going to help sell it. <laughs> yeah. Well, the one thing, but so I kind of understand, but I guess the trade off is it because one of the things that like kind of comes with his style of arguing the same as all everyone that, you know, there's a lot of people that kind of build a career like this. Is it also it makes everyone hate you though, right? Like when you, there's certain the way that you take these risks. So this only works when you get to be like the president or whatever, but in a normal workplace or something, if you kind of operated like that, everyone would just hate you, right? Uh, actually, no, and, which is the weird part. Uh, well, I won't say that you won't have haters because if you're persuasive in any way, let's say you're just a good CEO, you have a ton of haters. You know, if you're Bill Gates, you're Elon Musk, you're Steve Jobs, 
you got a lot of haters, you know, and, and people have good reasons for hating you in their opinions. So I, I think that's built into success. There's no such thing as somebody who's, I mean, Mother Teresa had haters. Mother yeah. Teresa, she literally had haters. So maybe not your own company, but yeah. Uh, there's somebody I worked with who became the uh, the model for the character Alice in my comic strip, who is the, the, the tough engineer woman. And she had Donald Trump technique. And one of her techniques was if you were good to her, in other words, you did something she asked as a coworker, not as a subordinate, she would go to your boss and tell you that, tell your boss that you should get a raise. She would buy flowers for you at work. Who does that? Right. And she would, she would make doing the right thing for her a spectacularly rewarding. <laughs> right. Just but, but, but if you didn't, she would end you. There was no in between. She will end you. She will go to your boss and say, you got to get rid of this idiot. I mean, I can't get this person to do anything. And she would actually get you fired or certainly hurt your career. So, so what she would do is she would make this gigantic difference between doing what she wanted and what she didn't where yeah. everybody else in the workplace who was also asking you to do stuff, not much difference. You could do what they wanted, don't do what they wanted. But you know what I mean, Scott, where I'm like, I, I kind of understand where she would get what she wants better, but I would hate that person. Like that, you know, I and, mean, if- and, and people did, but there were so many people who saw that she could get things done and they wanted those good things to be done too, because usually yeah. it was just something good for the company, that they say, you know, that's like Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs had a lot of haters too, but look how effective he is. I, I like that. I appreciate that. Yeah. So she was actually, she was highly respected. Her career was great. I, she was a very successful career and um, she was just really, really tough. It's almost like you need to be like, there's a certain type of person that's more comfortable in like the antagonistic energy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because some yeah. people aren't. And that's a better yeah. way to describe that. I and have one thing. Sorry. I was going to say, that's why I'm a, a cartoonist and not a lawyer. I was going to be a lawyer. Yeah. And I realized, wait a minute. In order for me to win, depending on the kind of law, somebody has to lose. Or, <laughs> yeah. or, or, at, or I have a boring job with paperwork and there's no winners or losers. It's just paperwork. And I thought, no, there's nothing about that I like. I, I like a job where if <clears> I do a good job, just everybody wins. I agree that's too, it. yeah. And, and you know, a lot of ways it's like I, I get so – you know, attached to, you know, people that are in my life, like kind of helping them be better or whatever, that the only way to combat that, if you kind of have that natural tendencies is just to have a really small circle because it's too much. You know what I mean? You, you just have to, like, you can't, I yeah. can't, ha you can't have 20 people that you kind of have that dynamic with because it's always like infecting your brain or you have to, or you have to train yourself to like ignore people and stuff like that. But it's, then you're not, you know what I mean? Then you're kind of, uh, uh, yeah. failing in that dynamic or so to speak in your mind. Yeah. It, it becomes a bigger and bigger problem as you become uh, semi-famous as in my case. Yeah, um, I bet. yeah. Probably every day, probably half a dozen people a day will send me long messages about their project and how can I help them? And okay. I think, well, if I had nothing else to do, maybe so, maybe I'll jump in and give you a little help. But, you know, if you've got hundreds and hundreds of people a year asking you to work on their project, just can't do it all. Can't do it all. So how do you, what do you do? Do you, do, do you systemize it in terms of like, okay, I'm only going to look at those requests once a month or 
and then maybe I'm going to take things like, do you have a system or how do you think of that? And how do you deal with sort that? of for first in first out, you know, I, I deal with them as they come and I at least I skim everything. So I don't miss anything, Okay. but uh, it would have to be something that really, really hit exactly, you know, something I cared about and was important to the world in some way. But typically, it's something. So that's you're important to you're not looking for opportunities. You're looking for something that kind of like blows you away. Like so, it's like if someone's like, "Hey, want to do this?" You're like, "I'm actually not really even." T- it's, but if something comes in that's like, "Oh wow," that like if so, it's almost like if you're wowed, then you kind of that's the factor that might get you involved. Uh, yes, I, I would say that's generally true. But it's also that I'm at that point in my life where I got pretty much everything I need. Yeah. So I, I've taken care of all of my needs. And if it's not if it's not useful to other people in a in a fairly substantial way, not not just in a hypothetical or you know intellectual way, but like really something will be different in your life if I do what I do right, then I'm excited. Yeah. But I also like to pick things that I have a special impact on. Like yes, I could help. Uh, I could bring meals to senior citizens who you know can't get out of the house. <laughs> yeah. Right. But other people can do that too. And if I if I have any like special thing that I add that could help two people instead yeah. of one, you could I'd bring meals to senior citizens and then argue with them about Trump and change their minds. <laughs> yeah, make the world a better place. Just, you could argue with some of the people at the home on Twitter. You could show them how to get get Twitter to argue. I think you know what you that makes sense though what you're describing. It's like yeah, a lot of times. It's the same thing as like if you, not the same thing, but like when people are like, oh, I want to help. And it's like, you've never put yourself in a position that can help. And it's kind of like, dude, sometimes I can, you know, a lot of times people will ask me like advice on like editing or whatever. And I'm like, I, you don't need me, a guy like me involved in your thing. But if you send me your video afterwards or send me your script in about 30 seconds, I could probably help more than a lot of people will in like four hours. Or if I came and acted in your thing and took my half a day, I'll, I can probably give you a note that'll take me a minute and I'll save you lots of time. So it's like also being efficient with like how you actually help people and how to do it. Yeah, and um, you've probably found this in your own life that if you're not doing something for other people, you don't really feel good at the end of the day. Now, I don't know how much of this is individual difference, but I suspect not a lot. I suspect that we're all sort of designed by evolution to, to if you've taken care of your own needs and you're not taking care of somebody else after that, you should feel empty. And I think, I think people do. Yeah, I think I do agree with that. And I've even, I've, I've kind of like, anytime I'm in a position, where things are going good, I kind of feel my natural instinct to now help other people. Whether, But, you know, yeah. that's one of the things that's good about this kind of like business per position I'm in. It's like I actually get to like even the idea of like doing a show, you get to give all your 10 friends, you know, a job and money and for like, you know, what I mean, so bring people on tour and sometimes just straight up give people money. But there is a, a big part of it that that and I'm sure you've had that, too, where you get to kind of like employ sure. people with a cool job. And but it's not just giving someone a job. It's more like you know, a cool thing that they would have done for free and you also get to give them money. So there's, there is a lot of that baked in. That's pretty cool too. Yeah. Yeah. With, without that, I, I think life would be sort of empty and dull. Yeah. Um, you know, I, hey, I gotta feel like I'm making a difference. When you were saying that the, the thing you're excited about, it kind of reminded me that this was you, right? The theory that, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but right with your head, but uh, decide with your stomach or something like that. <laughs> um, my version of that, it sounds like uh, a version of something I said, if you're um, 
trying to write jokes, you, uh, what I do is I cycle through them as quickly as possible. It's like, what if he says this? No. What if he says this? No. What if he does this? No. And it's the speed that matters. So you don't intellectualize, is that a good idea or a bad one? You yeah. let your stomach do that. So if you're thinking through ideas and you go, no, 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 <laughs> that's the one. Yeah. Because that, was, that wasn't an intellectual response. Your body, your body actually just was your sensor. <laughs> I've paraphrased that wrong a lot of times to people. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but, but you were pretty close, pretty close. There, but I mean, that works for anything. I mean, you know, the girl version would be like, if you're like thinking about a guy, it's like, what's the one that you got excited about? You can intellectualize it all day long. Or if you're picking a job, like, you know, a lot of times you kind of, if you're deciding what restaurant you want to go to, it's like, there's so many things you could do that about, you know what I mean? Where it's like, yeah. I remember two, two cases that were just really stark. One was, um, a few relationships ago, I was looking for a, a house with my uh, mate at the time. And we looked at a bunch of houses and we all had the same reactions like, eh, eh. and we, then we pull up to the front of a house that we don't know anything about the inside of the house. And I, and I looked at her and I go, well, there's your house. And, and yeah. you know, we, we go in and it kind of didn't matter what it looked like because my decision was made at the curb and I didn't know why. But I was completely aware of it. There was a bathhouse in the shed. <laughs> <laughs> there was something in there that I, that I needed. It was a good place to bury the bodies. But, yeah, uh, very cool. But I, but I knew that I was going to now go into a process where I would talk myself into how yeah, logically. Yeah, talk yourself into this it. <laughs> totally made sense. Then, then that same experience uh, years later, my first marriage, we were looking for an automobile and we we're going, you know, car, car, car from one shop to another. And we, we pulled into this one lot, walked up to a car and I was like, there it is. There it is. Yeah. Now, was it because Mazda it was- Miata. <laughs> you know, was it because it, it met all of our needs? Was it because it was attractive? No, not really. I just knew it when I saw it because I knew that it would just appeal to us on some stomach level and it did. And we drove out with that vehicle. Yeah, no, I, I think that that like way of thinking can be used for so much. And it's like you still have to use your head. But the the last thing, uh, not the last thing, but the, the for the Trump thing, one thing I wanted to ask your opinion on because there was, well, two things. One was his niece's book. I remember my mom, so she, she's, she, she read his niece's book. And, and my instinct originally was like, oh, this stuff's like, anytime like someone can gain a bunch of money. She's, so my mom called me, she's like, I read Trump's niece's book. She's like, turns out this guy was like the worst. <laughs> she goes, uh, she, she read the book, she was all in. She's like, he's mean to people and he's a, he's a, you know, he's a psychopath, he's a narcissist. That's my mom's like, she just read this a month ago. She's like all in. So what's the deal with the niece's book? Is that complete bullshit? What, what if it isn't? What, what if every word in that was true? Do you care? Okay. Right. So Do you yeah. care? Is that you the see, idea? The, the, well, well, that was the sort of thing that might have been important before the first term. Uh -huh. But uh, I, I'm, a big, I'm a big fan of the fact that people change, first of all. So who, whoever Trump was 20 years ago is certainly substantially different than he is now just like you are just like everybody else is we, and we you're like in your opinion he's done good i think three and a half years um two nobel prize uh, yeah. uh nominations could have been four i mean it could have been four i mean he, he yeah. could add more and um the economy that 
at least for a while, was the uh, envy of the world. I mean, really, uh, I, I think he has an argument for the best term, one term, of any president. I think okay. he could make that argument. And I'm fairly like agnostic on it. I'm not like coming at it with a specific perspective, but there were a few things. The one thing that I couldn't let go when, because I remember even when I was listening to you and the way that you're talking about Trump, and I obviously I've argued with other people where they go, Trump's stupid. I go, oh, yeah, he's stupid. Like, what are you talking about? But like, the when I read the Art of the Deal, so it, one of my friends who's like a, he has a bunch, he's like a big real estate, very successful, right? And he was like, the, this book changes life. He's kind of trash, so like, you know, that's a <laughs> he, he was like. Uh, you know, like a uh, grew up in like some trash place and then, uh, you know, became this rich guy. So tr like guys like Trump's like his hero, you know, and he said he has to stop talking about it now because he's in Canada. But the, right now I read the part of the deal. And in, ch in one of the chapters, he was talking about he goes, you know, a lot of times uh, these crappy landlords will put homeless people in the in the places to kick the tenants out as like this like shitty technique and then three chapters later he but he goes what but i would never do that that's not something and then three chapters later he was talking about how these uh he needed to get these tenants out and he was like so i decided to give the homeless people a place to live i mean hey if i also wanted to help the homeless people but if it did get them out i'm like you just described this three chapters ago that this was like the worst and you said you would never do it and i was like did no one he, i was like i just felt struck me as like so crazy how could you not like be like hey dude you just said this was like a shitty technique that landlords did and now you're explaining that you're doing it well he he also has been completely transparent on the fact that he'll do whatever works as long as you know it's legal basically so yeah he, he, you know, or, or or if you know if, yeah let's just keep it as if it's legal so that's that's both his feature and his bug at the same time you know the the reason that he does things which are continuously impossible, like uh, getting peace deals, and, you know, beating, beating ISIS quickly. I mean, it's, it's a pretty long list of things, shaking hands with Kim Jong-un and, you know, calming that situation down. These are a whole list of impossibles. And it's because he just doesn't see limitations the way other people do. You know, we, we talk ourselves into lots of limitations. Like, yeah. oh, I don't, I don't want to be that kind of person. I, I don't want to be inconsistent with myself. I don't want somebody to feel bad. I, I don't want somebody to criticize me. I, I don't want to later regret that. I, you know, so we, so we have all these things that stop us from doing, or, or at least stop us from having all the options. Whereas he walks in and goes, tell me what's legal. Okay. Okay. All of these Every things are option. on the, on the table. If it's, if it's legal, it's on the table. That's it. That's it. You know, is, have is, you taken is some it, of that in your life? No, I think everybody sort of has their own, you know, standard. Um, I, I would not do anything just because I could get away with it. I would, I would be a little more, uh, um, I think I would adhere a little bit, not a little bit, but probably a lot more to the ethical boundaries, just because, you know, there's, there's a part of it about who you want to be, because everything yeah. you do, you know, becomes part of creating who you are. And I'm, kind of interested in being the person I want to be, not somebody else. Are you extra sort of sensitive to all the people, all the lies about him and noticed it earlier? One of the, re because you've also seen that in your own life about you too. Like you probably <laughs> must've had people. I, I, I think you even like, I know you've made up a lot of terms, but what was the one like hoax edits? Was that the term for that? But, oh, uh, 
Yeah, hoax edits and context lies and stuff like that. Yeah, because it's like you've, they've had, it's funny too, I say this happens with conspiracies too sometimes when there's ones about you that you know aren't true, but it's like, you know, sometimes they'll be like, oh, Trump said this and this, and you're like, but I know you lie. You did it about me too. So it's kind of yeah. a, you know. There, there, there's a famous uh, um, thing about that. So the physicist Murray Gell-Mann, uh, once observed that whenever he read a story about physics, which was his field, he would know that the story was wrong because he knew the field. But as soon as he would turn the page to another topic, <laughs> let's let's say, yeah. you know, the Middle East or whatever, he'd say, well, that's probably right. <laughs> yeah. But 100% of the things he knows about are wrong. Now, if you're famous, you've seen this a million times. Every story I see about myself, you know, some stuff right and some stuff wrong. Yeah. I can tell. But you can't tell. You don't know what's wrong. Uh, so years ago, before fake news was even the term, um, it became, uh, I, I got canceled um, for saying some things that were taken out of context. So what I did became, you say? well, forget about what Denied I did the say. Holocaust. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just skip to the part where people said I said it. Okay, okay. So they said, they said I was a Holocaust denier. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I I've, I've never even met a Holocaust denier. What the hell is a Holocaust denier? There's somebody who actually thinks it didn't happen. Like, uh, so I'm not one of those. Um, another one was that I was pro-rape. Pro-rape? Now, yeah, you, you, I don't even need to get into what I, I was I actually do about. know that one because that's happened to a couple of comedians where essentially someone was accused of something and then they like, no, this guy's innocent. And then they say he's pro-rape because they like defended like the guy's right to a trial or whatever, essentially. Yeah, my, mine was different. I was just talking about the fact that uh, if men were not controlled, they would do worse things than if there were laws that constrained them. And that turned into, oh, you think it's natural for men to be rapists and therefore you're in favor of rape because it's natural. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. No. I'm just saying that uh, the society has laws that are a little bit, um, let's say, more directed at men because they kind of need to be, right? I'm not complaining about it. It's just a fact. And that turned into somehow I'm pro-rape. I'm like, what? That's not even close <laughs> to what I was saying. So... But but those were that was before people were so tuned into the fact that the news and social media were routinely made up. Yeah. Right? If, if if those same things happened today, those same accusations, people would laugh at them because they they would know. Oh, that's just obviously those are, those are not true. People I mean, are just still making them like, stick, yeah. though. You know, it's like I guess they're a little craftier. But I'm watching. You know, a lot of this stuff still kind of uh, stick pretty hard. It, it sticks, but if somebody gives you a reasonable explanation why it's not true, you're now willing to buy the explanation. If they get a and chance, then, to, I mean, you have a following. Yeah, Some people are just gone. Yeah, yeah, you get, you get um, hammered. If one of the ones that I thought, like even recently, you know, like you know how they were going to teach critical race theory in schools or whatever and all this stuff, which kind of goes back to what we're saying. It's like they want, you know, to push their thing on everyone. But then... I saw like a hundred articles and posts yesterday being like, Trump says he doesn't want them to teach racism. And you're like, yeah, but that's not what that is. It's like a very yeah. specific, it's just right. like, it's like, it's like they, they wanted to teach Christianity in school and they said, no, we're not going to do a full course on like how to be a Christian. And then he goes, he says he doesn't want to teach theology. And it's like, 
it was just completely not what's happening. A very specific, yeah. like, un, you know, that anyone that has any intelligence is like, this stuff's a bunch of bullshit. So yeah, and that, the fact what, that can still catch on right now. Yeah, I, I call those context lies. It's true, but it's taken in a context to make it mean something else. Yeah, you know, there were, I think, two two of them about Biden just this week. What are they? <laughs> that were context lies. One was a video of him appearing to forget the words of the uh, the Pledge of Allegiance. But the context was he was just uh, referring to the first part of it as something you wanted to talk about. He wasn't trying to repeat it, so he just trailed oh. off after it. So you, you see it in a context, it looks like you forgot the words, nothing like that happened. The other one was, um, he was I forget the other one, but there was another one that was basically just the same thing, something taken out of context. Oh, the one where uh, the story is that he was trying, he was reading his answers to interview questions off a teleprompter because he's so brain dead that he can't just <laughs> answer a question. He has to read the answer from somebody feeding it to him. But if you see the, if you see the full context, you can see that he was looking at uh, somebody on a screen who asked him a question. Yeah. While there was also somebody in the room. So he was looking at it and he, he missed a line from the person on the screen. So, you know, those are just two complete made up fake stories. You know, Dude, they're the, the 100% the enemy of the people right now. <laughs> Both sides. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, I've argued that the, the side that's out of power is the, the biggest liar because they need to be, you know, they, they need to change something. Whereas the, the party that's got their president in power, let's say Fox News at the moment might be more Trump, they have the ability to say, well, he accomplished this thing. He got this Nobel they can Peace Prize pick nomination. real ones and just embellish right. them. So they don't have to lie if, as long as he's got some things that are real. So as soon as the parties reverse, you know, Fox News was crazier during the Obama years and it just flipped around. How much pushback did you get being like a Hollywood figure when, you know, all this stuff was happening with Trump? Did you get any where it was like people, you know, legitimately saying, hey, you got to stop this? Was there any of that or was it more? Sure. Like, did you get oh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty vicious. The, the trouble is that celebrities, uh, let's say celebrities collectively, they're mostly people who are uninformed and don't have a, a, a deep talent stack and they're just sort of uh, tourists. I love but that I think idea. <laughs> That's why I'm going to be saying about every actor right now. Listen, you don't have a deep talent stack. Like you don't get it. <laughs> you're, you're a tourist. Um, but if I look at, if I look at somebody like, uh, let's say Alyssa Milano, I would say I disagree with her. One of the great her. thinkers of our time. No, I'm, I'm going to support her right okay. now. She, she is a legitimate um, social force for good, meaning that she has, as far as I can tell, only good intentions. There, there's nothing about her that suggests bad intentions. She is, she's got skin in the game. She's like really deeply into the politics. She's not just, you know, passing through and trying to make a name for herself. Uh, I have complete respect for that, even if I disagree with her policies and her opinions. I say, okay, that's a that's a serious citizen, who's who's all in, took the risk. I give her full full uh, respect. Well, uh, let me uh, let me uh, offer an uh, opposing opinion here because the risk, you know, is aligned with the reward of like anyone who hated Trump in Hollywood and you know b built a podcast on that and built a career. It's like there was a you know if anyone who was 
kind of in Hollywood not doing so good. It's like they just transitioned into like hating Trump and created this big career. And it's like Alyssa Milano kind of was was pushing so much stuff that like ruined people's lives. So, I mean, what, I guess what intention becomes like irrelevant if, you know, it, it kind of is what how much good in, are you doing at some point, right? Well, I think intention always matters. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to treat somebody the same if they have good intentions and something went wrong. I mean, yeah, I that's ju- true. judge them harshly because yeah. that's just all of us, right? We're, we're all we're all making mistakes and trying to adjust. Um, and I also would not falter for turning it into a career because, in a sense, I'm doing the same thing. Because you you end up burning your bridges. You know, you don't really have an option of going back to your old career once you become political. It's yeah, hard. I know you're right. I'm, I'm maybe like adding too much of that in but there is some degree i mean i don't know do you think she's made the world a better place with what she's doing um i'm going to give you the generic answer which is as long as you've got uh, if you have well-intentioned people arguing on both sides that's your best situation because you want um like a let's say a constructive tension between different opinions so she's a very good communicator she's very effective and she I would say she holds up her part of the social contract, which is to argue as hard as she can for something she thinks is genuinely do a better you, way to go. Do you agree that her podcast should be bigger than Joe Rogan's podcast and she's getting shafted by the viewers? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think Joe Rogan's got some trouble right now. Oh, what because, you, yeah, what yeah if, if, if you're following that, there's some suggestion that Spotify employees are trying to exert editorial control over his content. I know. Uh, more so than they have. I, you see the guy I, I guess leaked they, it? The, there was a guy that at Spotify that basically leaked the stuff and being like, yo, it, oh. it's like full out war. And he basically said it's a, it's like an uprising in here and the people at Spotify want to go on strike. It's like a nightmare because it's a New York <laughs> office. It's like a nightmare. He said it's a whole debacle there right now. But but you saw uh, Joe doing his apology for uh, yeah, what I did. he thought. Was, and, and I thought to myself, I'm not sure that would have happened two months ago, right? Yeah. That didn't, like, I could easily say him, like, just giving a correction and say, oh, correction. Yeah. I said this, but there's not, there's not enough evidence of that, blah, blah. I would say, oh, fine, you know, good correction. But the way he seemed to fall on his sword, it just looked like there was some outside force that was distorting or freedom of speech in some way. And it felt uncomfortable watching it because I think, again, I can't read his mind, but I felt his discomfort, even if I'm imagining it, because yeah. you know, again, I don't know what he's, what he's actually thinking. But the, I worry, I worry that his independence is, is uh, at risk. I think a lot, I mean, there's no $200 million deal that isn't somewhat free. But then again, if you go the other way, the Howard Stern, he took the big $200 million and it made him more free. So, I mean, there's both, but you're not going to be more free than an independent podcaster that your boss is your RSS feed, essentially. <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah it's, it's an I, interesting I, thing, right? This is yeah, I was, I was putting myself in that same situation. I was thinking, okay, would I would I change my content based on... And then, then I thought, yeah, I would totally. You well, it because... depends on what you're doing. Like it's, I, it's not. I mean, there is some degree with someone like that. You know, he's he's had a long career, and it's like his mark isn't being this like edge lord. But there is a degree <laughs> where he represents free speech, and you know, the the top guy that's having who he wants on that isn't owned. So I think he he's like a symbol for so many people 
So th- that it's whereas he just started a podcast and it's the you know hugest podcast in the world or whatever. But yeah. for a lot of people, like if he's getting censored, like what hope do we have? So I think that's where a lot of this comes from from people. Yeah, I would say for myself when I when I think think through it as an okay, if I'm in that situation, which of course I have been, um, I have uh, certainly with Dilbert, I have modified my content completely to be compatible with the with the vehicle it's in, family newspapers, et cetera. Yeah, and and I think to myself when I'm doing that, I think, okay, am I selling out or am I selling? Because as an artist, you're in business, right? You're selling your content. So what's, where's the dividing line between selling out and just selling? Because everybody's selling. You're selling your time. You're selling your products. I think We're all selling. Di- in my opinion, the difference is it's almost like you can feel like every platform and everything for you, you have non-negotiables. Like for me, uh, when I'm doing like sketches, for example, I've done tons of times where it's like we can't swear and stuff like that. And that it's irrelevant to me. But if on stand up, I was told that I can't swear, like I don't think I'd want to take that show, that show. So it's it's almost right. like on every platform, if you add, hey, we don't want you to touch on these 12 issues, you might be like, hey, that's a little much or I might don't feel like that's compromising the characters too so, much. Or- so, so now take it to the next level. Let's, let's say you're Joe Rogan, just to use him as my example. Let's say that he says, you know, I've made enough money. I'm just going to say F the world. And if Spotify doesn't like what I'm going to say, contract is over. You know, I've got an out clause. Take it or leave it. It's Maybe he does. Be. Yeah. But here's the problem. He's big enough now that almost certainly there are other people whose incomes depend on his. You know, he's probably got an engineer who's, you know, mainly his engineer. He's, he's got probably Young some James. variety of people who depend on him. And my guess is that it's not so easy anymore because his decisions are not just his cost and benefit. Now they're other people's cost and benefit. And he's got to take that into yeah. consideration. Dude, I just did an interview with like um, Roseanne. And she, I was on her, I was watching her channel like the minute before and she did this big video being like, you know, I need to figure out how to make money. Cause you know, you guys might not realize that I have like 80 people I'm supporting. And I was like, Oh, like you kind of yeah. never, you never yeah. think about that. You're like, what do they need more money for? And you're like, she's paying for 12 people's mortgages. That's why like you kind of never, you know, realize yeah. that, that, you know, all the other th- factors that are involved, you know, it's just yeah, like, it, it- at various times in my career, I've, I've thought, you know, I could just walk away. I've, I've made enough money. And then I think about how many people make money because of me. You know, all the, the licensing, yeah. the, the publishing. The, it's it's so a big operation. money because of me, the rub and tugs, the sex jobs. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. What are they going to do? Yeah. Can't, can't all, Robert Kraft can't do it all. Interesting. So. Okay, well... Well, we've been like an hour and a half, so we'll wrap up. But yeah, it would be interesting to see what Joe Rogan. And the last thing is, if you are suffering from loser think, what's the way that people can, you know, break out of that? If you're you thinking like- buy my book, Loser Think, which, yeah. which is bestseller. And um, you build your talent stack. So the more more experience you have- Back to the talent fe- stack. It's all the talent stack. That'll, that'll cure you of your loser think. I really do love that because it does describe a problem that I've been thinking forever. You're like, you know, there's these people that are fairly smart. They seem so good at this thing. Why are, why are they having so much trouble? Like, you know, comprehending these like simple concepts and getting down these insane paths. And you're like, it's because they don't have the right talent stack to, is that, yeah. I love it. Yeah. If, I, if you find yourself in a political disagreement with somebody who also has a background in economics, 
how quickly you end up, you, tra you trace it down to like some assumption that's different. You go, oh, well, well, I'll check that data because I had a different assumption about it. And that's it. Uh, like your entire disagreement will start from opposite ends of the world. And if you have the same talent stack, you go, well, how about this? Oh, that, uh, uh, and, and yeah, and, and it goes back to your it. idea when you're, and not going back, but when you're arguing with people and they're, you know, they're kind of like misrepresenting, it's kind of like, what do you think that I, you know, what do you think you disagree with that I think, you know what I mean? Or like, what do yeah. you think do I disagree with? And you kind of like ask those <laughs> questions and force them. The, the, the exact wording of that matters. You say to somebody, <laughs> yeah, yeah, have you, so you, you, say, you, say, you say to somebody, uh, name something you believe is true that you think I don't think is true. Yes. It, it's, it's a total conversation stopper on politics because people generally can't. And they'll realize that they can't find a difference, even though they've been arguing with you. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah. And that it's true, though, because when you're looking for economics, it's you're always trying to optimize. And I, again, I will wrap up. But there, I was having this conversation the other day and it was kind of like there isn't, a, you know, there, it's that idea that there isn't always solutions. There's only trade offs. And I'm like, they kept being like, what about this? What about this? I go. There's no scenario where there isn't a what about. It's like <laughs> there's 300 million people in this country. Yeah, like all of the options of what to do about all of these different problems have a like, well, what about this guy? And you're like, yeah, you're trying to optimize the best versus the least pain. And then there's, you know, you might factor in like, well, this is the amount of pain that we're non-negotiable. But it's just trying to put together these equations in your mind. And you're right. People that maybe don't uh, have like knowledge of the multiple things they aren't able to do that because everything's like binary and linear right yeah okay scott adams where can people find you and what time are your periscopes and stuff like that well you can find me on twitter at at scott adams says you can find dilbert at dilbert.com and you can find me on periscope which is a twitter app uh, every morning at 10 a.m eastern time Okay, man. Just thanks. Google, Google my name. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot for coming on. Cause I, I know I've been into you for a long time and I even just, you like sharing the videos and stuff. I was like, Oh, sick. That's very cool. <laughs> well, th thanks for doing this. It was a pleasure. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah.